Hello, everyone. I've been told that if I wait for Libby, she'll just keep talking. So I should call us back. <laughs> I'm just, just going to reposition this so I can get some light. It is a, ooh, it is a real privilege to be here. Um, yeah, it was. It is 20 plus years. Libby did make me a bit older than I actually. We didn't meet at uni. I, we met at church. I was at uni, but she had already finished. So I'm not uh, as. So just, just to clarify that point, it's an important point to make, but just to clarify. But yeah, no, it's a real privilege to be here today. Um, and it's a bit weird because I remember being in a situation whereby when I was at uni and Libby would be on the stage preaching, and, I, and now it's the reverse. And so this is a little bit daunting, I have to admit, having her on the front row here as well. But it's, it's all good, it's all good. Um, yes, yeah, so as I was praying about what to talk to you guys and what God wanted me to bring to you, he brought me back to a line from a well-known and well-loved children's Bible storybook that we have. It's this one here. Um, if you've got young children, you may have had this one. If not, I highly recommend it. It's a great little children's Bible book. And I used to read it to our kids at bedtime when they were really young. And the line in it says... And one day, in a shop window, he sees something, something special. Now, it's a retelling of the parable of the um, merchant and the pearl. And it's a great retelling of it, but it struck me. How did he know it was something special? And that bugged me, and it plagued me. And I had to think about it and pray about it. And merchants were people who spent their whole life buying and selling things. This guy was a merl, sorry, a pearl merchant. So he knew pearls. I was like, wow, okay, so this is interesting now. And this started a bit of a deep dive into all the other parables in Matthew 13. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn them on or open them up, uh, the words will, the passages will come on the screen behind me as well. But we're going to be dipping into several parables in Matthew 13. But we're going to look at the people of these parables. So the first one then um, is uh, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. And I'll just read it to you. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds one of great value... He went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. So this distinguishing feature of this person is he was looking for it. As I said, as a merchant, he understood pearls. He could look at them and go, yeah, that one is the best one. The coloring, the shape, all that kind of stuff about it. And he knew what it was. He knew from a place of expertise that this had value, that this was the best, and it was actually worth him selling everything because it was worth more than anything he already had. So it's from that place of expertise. Now, the original listeners to this, I mean, I don't know about you, we don't really use the word merchant anymore. When I was trying to think of a modern reference, the only one I could really come up with was The Merchant of Venice, and that's a Shakespeare's play that isn't really that modern. Um, but the, back in the day, the original listeners of this would have understood this. They would have known about merchants. It was a part of their life. And so for them, that would have twigged in their mind, gosh, if a merchant is saying this pearl is worth this much money, it's clearly a big deal. So Jesus was using 
um, people and characters of the time so that they understood about the kingdom of heaven. Because this is what this is all about, the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is that relationship where we have with God, that place where we can enter with God, where his rule, his authority, his presence, his power is over our lives. So that's the kingdom. That's what this pearl is representing. So if we think about the type of person, we can label this person then as someone as a seeker. This is somebody that was actively looking and found something. In contrast, then, if we look at the other parable in verse 44, this one says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and brought that field. So if we look at this person now again, looking at the... The treasure is the kingdom, okay? But this person, this person found it. So many questions. What was he doing in the field in the first place? Was he looking for something? Did he stub his toe on it? Yeah? Should he have been in the field in the first place? Yeah? So many questions that we'll never know the answer to. But what we do know is that he stumbled upon it. He found it. This would be the equivalent of like, you taking your dog for a walk and him finding a Roman hoard of coins. You know it's, you don't know how much it's worth, but you know it's worth something. I mean, in my life, the, thing, the only thing my dog as a child ever found was more sticks. But that's, that's the kind of equivalent of this. Yeah? So this person wasn't actively looking, wasn't going around and doing anything particularly interesting. He was just going for a walk and found it then hid it. So he knew it had value. So he knew there was something to this, and he wanted it. But unlike the seeker, we could probably label this guy as more of a stumbler. He's stumbled upon the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we look back at some of the other parables that are in the, in the chapter, we actually see that Jesus, in another one, tells us about other types of people as well. As I said, this was a bit of a deep dive into Matthew 13. This took me on. So if we look at uh, chapters, again, chapter 13, verses 3 to 8, this one is probably one of the more well-known parables within this chapter. Again, I'll read it to you. It says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil sprung quickly because the soil was hang on, I can't see it. There we go. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop of 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now initially, at, you might be looking at that going, hmm, there's nothing about people in there. And the disciples were the same, by the way. If you, if you continue reading down in your own time, you'll notice that actually the disciples were like, 
okay, yeah, sure. We get it. And then Jesus actually had to explain it to them. So if we jump down then to verse 18, um, we can see then that Jesus goes on to actually explain it to them, thankfully, and to us. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble comes or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of the world and life choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one that produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So actually, this parable is about people as well, types of people. We've already got the seeker. We've already got the stumbler. And now Jesus is telling us that there's three other types of people as well in relation to uh, understanding the word and understanding the kingdom. So if we break it down and look at these different types then, we can see that for three of them, the ground, the soil, sorry, for all four of them, represents the people. Yeah, so the path then, if we look at that one quickly, the people who don't understand the message, these are the ones that don't get it. And, or, it should be noted that they don't get it, or they don't want to understand it. Because in that space then, the enemy can come and snatch its meaning away. Because if you were wanting to understand it, you'd actually fall into the next category. Yeah? So these are the types of people whose attitudes and whose place of heart means that at that time, and maybe forever, they're not in a place to receive it. Whereas the rocky ground, these are the people that do quickly take it. They, they understand, it. yes, this is for me. But actually, when their faith gets tested, when it comes to the hard times in life, and they come, their faith is shown for what it is. It's just simply a veneer. I work at the YMCA in Reading, and uh, as a, unlike the one in Chelmsford, we are a housing organization, so I work with young people, homeless young people, between the age of 16 and 25. And over the past few years, I've worked with this uh, one young woman who, in my conversations with her and supporting her, she told me that she'd become a Christian at a summer festival. But as she relayed her story to me, she'd come back, she was on fire, and the hard times of life really hit her. She was made homeless, various other things happened to her, and actually she turned to drugs and alcohol as opposed to her faith. And on the journey that she had been on, by the time I had met her, it had been several years, and she'd fallen away from her faith completely. She is an individual that would fall into this category of the rocky ground. The third one, then, are the thorns. So these are the people that have really, they get the message. They're in it. They've grown in it. Their roots are deep. But actually, the roots aren't the issue anymore. It's actually, as they're growing, as they are maturing, 
and the worries of life. And we, we, we've been there, especially we've just, we're coming out of COVID. Yeah, the worries of life through that pandemic, what's going on with that? Yeah, the pan, uh, worrying about, am I going to lose my job? If I lose my job, what's going to happen? Can I afford to pay the bills? All these types of things, these worries that we get, because we're not, as being a Christian, we're not exempt from life. Life still happens to us. Yeah? These worries then choke their faith. And they worry more and trust less. Yeah? These worries are like a, a drip, drip, drip into the soul. And the more it happens, it's like those insipid whispers. The more that happens, and the more we don't trust God in those times, the more the whispers build up until we become ineffective. Yeah, we become ineffective as Christians. And this leads to an interesting question. What is our purpose as a Christian? If, if, we become, if, the, if the case of the thorns is that we become ineffective Christians, what is an ineffective Christian? And this now takes us to the good soil. Yeah? So the good soil is a person who understands the message, understands the value of what they have, and wants to share it. Yeah? They want to share it. They want to be productive Christians, effective Christians. That means, as it says in there, yielding a crop, a hundred, thirty, sixty, thirty times what was sown. That means you're sharing it with people and you are encouraging them, walking alongside them, discipling them to increase other people into the faith as well. That's an effective Christian, which I think is a bit of a challenge, really, because I don't know about you, but prior to me writing this talk, there was a bit of the back of my mind that thought an effective Christian was just, I'm not going to hell. Yay. Yeah? Christianity, I, I once heard somebody very uh, say that Christianity is not just fire insurance. The reference would be hell and fire. Yeah? It's more than that. We have to be effective. And if you look at Jesus as our ultimate model of what an effective Christian is, then we have to be people that produce a yield, produce a crop. So when we look at these four types of people, so we've got the seeker, we've got the stumbler, we've got the thorns, we've got the rocky ground, and we've also got the path. So five people, sorry. These are all people that we encounter every single day of our lives. When I, when I got to this point and I was thinking, I was like, God, I understand it now. I have a deeper understanding of these parables. That's amazing. Great. And I can carry on as I was before. And God was like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You don't get it. These are the people you meet every day. I love them. You love them. Having read those parables and looked at those different types of people, many of you sitting here might be thinking about people that you know who are those people. Many of you might be thinking, oh gosh, am I, am I one of those people? 
But the point is, is that these people who we encounter every day, who we see at our work, at our jobs, uh, at the school gates, walking down the street, all these people are people that God loves. So we have to love them. Now, this is where this gets a little complicated, and this is where this gets a bit uncomfortable. As I said, being part of the back of my mind was like, yay, great, I can keep doing as I was doing. Unfortunately, as we grow as Christians, as we mature as Christians, we have a responsibility. Yeah? I can't believe I'm going to do this, but... It's kind of like universal credit. I've had to deal a lot with universal credit over the past couple of years with my job. And, but universal credit gives you something if you do something. Yeah? We, I said it's kind of like. It's a, not a great example. It's kind of like universal credit. Yeah? We have our faith. God has given us an amazing gift. Such an amazing gift. But with that comes a responsibility. If you are sitting here as a Christian and you have never told anybody about it, according to this parable, you are an ineffective Christian. And that's a reality. It's a hard truth. But it's what Jesus said. I'm not saying it. It's what Jesus said. Believe me, I don't want to be the person to tell you. But yeah, Jesus said it. We're coming out of a pandemic where fear of other people was instilled in us. Got to have two meters. Got to wear the face masks. Make sure you have windows open. No one's allowed in your house. It was instilled in us for good reasons. We didn't want to catch it. It really isn't nice. But have we allowed that to creep into our faith. I can't tell anybody about it, my faith. I can't go up to anybody. I've got to keep two meters. And we use it as an excuse. What excuses have you used to justify not going up to somebody? It's uncomfortable? Yes, it is. I'm not sure if Libby will remember this, but I did a, I did a discipleship year course at our church, uh, and Libby was the leader on it. And as part of that, we had to do a Myers-Briggs test. And I did it, and I came out as an introvert, and she accused me of lying and made me redo the test. <laughs> she said, I've seen you out with people. You, you can talk to me. I was like, yeah, I can do. But then I have to go home and lie down in a darkened room. I'm really uncomfortable being up and talking to people that I don't know. It, and yet God has called me to be a pastor. And before this, I was a teacher for 11 years. He, God has a sense of humor. But I'm in a position where I, I find it really difficult to go to people and talk about this kind of stuff. But God has challenged me that I have to do it to be an effective Christian. And it's hard. It really is hard. Sometimes it costs us to have to do this. 
and this now full circles back to the first two parables that we were talking about. That first parable of the pearl. He sold everything to have it. The guy who stumbled upon it in the field, he sold everything to have it. There is a cost to being a Christian. In the vineyard, um, our national motto at the moment um, is, I've got to get this right or else I'll get in trouble. Um, Expanding God's kingdom together everywhere in every way. Everywhere in every way. Yeah? We all, whatever you feel your task is that God has given you, I don't like the word calling, whatever, word, whatever task God has given you to accomplish, he will give you what you need to do it. Okay? But we all have the one thing in common that Jesus told us all to do, which was go to all the nations making disciples. Yeah? Since the very beginning of the Christian movement, it has all been about talk to people, disciple them, then go off and do it. And then so forth and so on and on and on and on. That's how the church has grown. You walk alongside people. You talk to them. Yeah? Our, individually, our all nations will look different for each of us. Some of people in here may be called to go to a different nation. Others of you might be called just to walk across the road. Talk to your neighbor. Yeah? Talk to the mum at the gate. That's your all nation. Yeah? So it doesn't... I'm not saying go to the... I'm not saying that. Our own lives are where we experience our faith, and that is where we come experience our faith from. So for me, at work, God really challenged me that I should be praying an offering to pray for each of the young people that I work with. Luckily, I work in a Christian organization, so I don't get fired for doing it. So, and I did. And I have done. And some have taken me up on it, and some have gone, no, I don't believe in that stuff. And you face that. You do face that. People will turn around to you and say, yeah, I don't believe that. We had, Libby and I had a, my Libby, I should say, this is where it gets confusing. My Libby and I had a meeting just the other day with some people who um, might be interested in joining our church that doesn't actually exist yet. Um, and they were saying that he had been listening to a talk given by our church, and we have somebody in our church who is crazy, frankly. He loves going out and praying for random people. It's a blessing, and go do it. And he did it. And so this guy was just walking his dog and was encouraged by what he'd heard. And so then he went and did it. And it's like, that's it. That's the example. Each and every single one of us are called to be the example. Our lives, the, what we say and what we do, is the example for other people. 
We can encourage, we can inspire, we can come alongside, we can pray for, we can demonstrate the Spirit of God by praying for healing, by prophesying for people. We can do all of that stuff. That is what we are called to do. We are not told to go out into all nations and start hitting people with Bibles, saying, you must become a Christian. No, that's not how it's meant to be. It's just our simple lives of service to God that are meant to be the example for everybody. And so I really encourage you that actually you have everything you need to do this. All you need is a drop of courage. If you've ever seen the film, uh, I Bought a Zoo, there's a line in there that is fantastic where he says, he's going up and talking about how he needs to go and speak to this girl to kind of start the relationship going. And he's so nervous and so nervous. He says, all I need is 20 seconds of courage. 20 seconds of courage to make that first step. Yeah? And that's my prayer for this, for you individually, but also for this church, of 20 seconds of courage. As we are, as your Libby has said, you've got these events coming up. 20 seconds of courage and stepping out to give out Easter eggs. Might you feel foolish? Yes. Does it matter? Might you see somebody you know? Yes. Give them the Easter egg. They will be happy. Yeah? 20 seconds of courage to do what God wants us to do. And the great thing, the miraculous thing about this is, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And the less the perception of the world thinking of you becomes. Because you're interacting in God's kingdom. And in the interaction there, that is what matters. So, yeah, I went a little bit off topic there. But I just want to call, I just want to pray for you guys for two things. One, I pray, I want to really pray that you would find that 20 seconds of courage. That you would be able to tap into a well of the Holy Spirit to give you that 20 seconds of courage to be able to go up and start a conversation with someone if you're feeling nervous. But also, my Libby sung a song, which, and we didn't confer, by the way, which said about wanting to be changed. If you are serious about doing this, about stepping out, about becoming an effective Christian, having a harvest of 100, 60, or 30 times, then there's likely going to be changes that's happening in you. And if you want to do more than just sing about it, then we're going to need to engage with God for you. So I pray, my other prayer is that God would show you today if there is anything in your life that is stopping you from being an effective Christian. So if you guys could stand, I'll just pray for you. I want to pray for you guys. Liz, do you want to just come up and...